0: Your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization.
1: Welcome back to For Better, Worse, or Divorce. I'm Jake Gilbreth, and I'm here with our guest, Ann Jones. Say hi, Ann.
0: Hi, how are y'all?
1: So Ann's a mortgage lender with Cornerstone Home Lending, and we're going to be talking about mortgages and kind of how that can be affected during a divorce. So before we do that, Ann, just like we do in court, tell me about yourself. Give me your name and tell me what you do for work.
0: Okay. So I've been a mortgage lender longer than I don't want to admit. been doing it a long time here in Austin with Cornerstone Home Lending, which is a small national company. We're a great team and we do a you know, It's probably one of the best companies I've ever worked for, and I've been doing it a little while, so my standards are pretty high. I do a lot of people with divorce. Uh, I have several attorneys who refer divorce people to me, so this is a, something I sort of understand.
1: So tell me about, before we talk about divorces, so how did you get into what you're doing?
0: I needed a job.
1: <laughs> hey, me too. That's how I got into what I do.
0: <laughs> I met somebody who was telling me what that mortgage lenders, this is lo- so long ago, that a mortgage lender could make $4,000 a month. And this was when I had—I was uniquely qualified to manage art galleries right. in Austin, Texas when there were two. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> so I had to kind of change job. I had had a real estate license. So it wasn't something that I was totally unfamiliar with, but that was kind of how I uh, I can do that.
1: So I was actually, before this podcast, I was actually doing a consult with somebody. They were asking me about, you know, kind of typical question, how we deal with the real estate. Sometimes it's multiple pieces of real estate. Sometimes it's just the marital home. How would you without the divorce? And so from my perspective, and then we'll sort of turn over to where you coming in. But, you know, from my perspective, we've got, you know, typical situation. People have a home. Let's say it's community property. And let's say they're both on the deed and they're both on the mortgage. And the deed part's easy, right? And let's say we're not selling it. The husband wants it, the wife wants it, one of the spouses wants it. You know, what we do first, if, if somebody wants it, then we typically get an appraised. And there's people that do it, that do appraisals for divorce purposes that we work with. Or, you know, sometimes spouses agree on the value, but usually we get an appraisal. And then let's say the wife's getting it, it goes in her column at that price, and the divorce decree just requires that they sign what's called a special warranty deed, which takes the other spouse off the title. What's more complicated, which you probably see, I guess, is, you know, we've got this mortgage right let's say they they have a mortgage with Compass bank and they're both in the same title on the mortgage, you know, the family code's real clear that the divorce decree can't affect third party lenders. That's actually listed in the in the divorce decree. So in my world, we're in mediation talking about, you know, are we gonna refinance it to, to get the other spouse off the note or are they gonna carry it, you know, or or what have you. So where do you come in on that process?
0: Okay. Well, there's several parts of that affect you guys. So the first one is is the wife in this example going to pay the husband anything for her equity in the house. She can refinance and pay him off. It's called an ulti deed, ulti lien. And it's so she owes five hundred thousand, she owes three hundred thousand, the house is worth five. She's got to pay him hundred thousand we can refinance four hundred thousand assuming she can qualify and pay him off and and it goes away that gets the debt out of his name that gets the debt all in her name and that makes then he's happy because he's paid off right that's one way to do it let's say that one or the other of them the wife is getting the property and she is not going to pay him off and they've got a great rate and so forth and so on and they both want to stay on the he wants off the note. There's no way to get him off the note unless she can qualify for the existing mortgage, and she probably has to refinance it. Don't think any lenders will. I guess a bank lender might,
1: but I'm yeah, gonna, I've never seen them just take somebody off. Right? Why right. would you? Right? If you're the bank, yeah. What why do you would get you? out of it?
0: So she's going to have to refinance to get him off. Let's say that she can't or won't, or it doesn't make sense for her to do that. Even though the divorce decree awards the debt to her and for qualifying purposes, for her, we qualify her that way. However, if he is still on the note, two or three things can happen to him. One is that until for mortgage purposes, now this is not legal purposes, this is mortgage purposes, we're going to have to count the debt on that house against him for the next 12 months. And at that point, once she can prove that she's made the payments on time for 12 months, Then we don't have to count that debt in his ratios.
1: So, like, if he's going to go purchase a house, let's use this example. Wife gets the house, he's still on the note. And so, say he wants to go buy a house. And so, he's trying to qualify for a mortgage. So, you're telling me that, that she, y'all would need to, before, you know, counting that. Morgan that he's on against him, he needs to show that the wife's made the payments, I assume timely, for 12 months, and then it doesn't count for the calculation that y'all do. Right. Okay.
0: And the other ramification to him in this example would be if she doesn't make the payments... It affects his credit score.
1: Yeah. And that I think that's the big fear that we see, you know, because sometimes a divorce is not a lot of trust. A lot of times a divorce, is not a lot of trust. I mean, you know, am I really going to not pay my mortgage just to spite my ex? Well, gee, uh, have I had somebody that I would think would do that? Yeah, probably there are people out there in this world that would do that. Usually it's not. But So in my world, what we do is we have people sign what's called deed of trust, secure assumption. So, you know, the person getting the house or giving up the house, he or she signs a special warranty deed. And the person that is receiving the house and responsible for the mortgage signs, what's called a deed of trust, a secure assumption, which essentially says if I don't pay the mortgage, then you, my ex spouse can foreclose on the property to protect your credit. Now, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. So your credit's probably still going to take a ding and it's expensive. And have I, have I, but have I ever seen anybody actually have to do that in my career? I haven't, but it's good to have that protection because, you know, somebody could lose a job. Somebody could, something awful could happen where they're not making the payments and you got to do something about that.
0: Right. But it's going to, it's going to affect your credit seriously. If you get near a foreclosure situation and the, in this example, the ex-husband won't probably know that that mortgage is being paid late.
1: Right. Yeah, until it's too late, right? It starts digging your credit. It's, too,
0: it's a problem before it's too late. And credit scores are really funny about late mortgage payments.
1: Yeah. had to. Um, I'm sure we've all had that situation where something shows up on your report uh, that you... Didn't even know about until last time I bought did a mortgage, some credit card that my bank, some weird auto charge went on it. It's with the same bank that I bank with. And then it showed up on my credit. It's like, y'all, it was like $5, right? <laughs> it's like, I would have paid the $5 if somebody had just told me. So that's it's always a mess. So somebody's sitting in mediation, you know, as far as qualifying for a mortgage, a lot of times people are, are wondering, you know, because they're looking at the overall spreadsheet or the asset division or how much spousal support or child support they're getting and then trying to decide, you know, is this going to work for me as far as qualifying. Oh, fine. Do you sometimes get pulled in before the mediation or kind of on standby or?
0: Frequently. Yeah, there's uh, so for mortgage purposes and probably legal purposes. But there are a lot of people who think there's a separation in Texas. There's not for for mortgage purposes. I know there's not a legal status for that. A lot of people think there is, but uh, you're either married or you're divorced. There's nothing in between, but I, so you can buy a house while you're still married and have it be your primary residence. If you want to qualify on the mortgage by yourself, you would have to qualify with any joint debts, assuming you can do that. And you can, the soon to be ex-spouse will have to sign the deed of trust. Now that's a legal question for you guys. How that, my understanding is that could make it potentially community property because You're either married or you're divorced.
1: Yeah, technically speaking, when you're going through divorce, everything's... Now, most of the times if there's lawyers involved, if somebody wants to buy a house, then we'll do what's called a partition. So we'll say, you know, let's say wife wants to go purchase a house and she talks to you, she's gonna qualify, she needs to put a hundred thousand down. Then we say, Okay, we're gonna partition from your portion of the division a hundred thousand dollars as your sole and separate property, you go buy the house, which will be and we're gonna agree that you're separate property. So we can contract around it, essentially. But you're right, right? If you're not thinking about it, or going through lawyers and just like if I buy a car while my, my divorce is pending, technically that car is community property. It's going to have to go on the spreadsheet.
0: So in this example, let's say the wife wanted to go away and buy her own house. The husband would sign the deed of trust. He doesn't have to sign any other documents. He doesn't have to be on the mortgage, assuming she qualifies on her own with all joint debts. That can be done before The divorce is final. A lot of times we know what the divorce is going to say and we're just waiting on time and people have asked me and they've checked it out to see how it's going to affect them. And we'll have it all ready to go and we'll be waiting for the judge to stamp it and send it to us.
1: And do y'all need that final divorce decree signed? I mean, I have people, you know, sign the mediated settlement agreement but the divorce decree takes a month or so.
0: No, the divorce decree, again, you're married or you're divorced. So if you're doing it as a divorced person, We have to have signed, sealed, and delivered, stamped, notarized copies.
1: What do you recommend, you know, or or do you get involved in the conversation when you're looking at kind of what the monthly cash flow is for somebody? uh, If they're thinking about a mortgage, because I may, you know, depending on what what you tell me, I may be pushing more for a higher spousal maintenance number or a higher child support number as opposed to, you know, a better property division of mediation, depending on kind of what you're telling me. So what do you all, as far as cash flow and everything like that, what are you kind of telling people to think about?
0: Well, I it kind of depends. As a lender, I generally look at somebody's whole previous lifestyle, current lifestyle, what what they're doing, you know. Start obviously I start with what can they qualify for. And but I have a firm belief just because you can doesn't mean you should.
1: Right. <laughs> so I, <I've, laughs> I was amazed when we when we purchased a house, how much they tell us like, well, just go buy this amount. It's like, that's a really, really bad idea. But particularly, <laughs> you know, now I remember back in the housing crisis, it wasn't like that. But yeah, they, I was shocked. And I'm always shocked. And then I have clients that come to me, right, that they, you know, got them X amount of dollars in their divorce. And they go tell me that they bought a house for Y. Oh you did that like why why did you but i'm not a financial planner right people it's a free country
0: right well i you know i'm i'm certainly going to do what i'm asked to do if they can qualify but i i will give them two cents worth and say do you really want to you've got a car that's 20 years old you sure you want to spend all that house on You know, what are you going to do when whatever? So a lot of times if one or the other is going to a completely different, I have one right now where she's going to a completely different level of income than before because he was wealthy and had a trust and I'm sure there was a prenup and so forth and so on. And, you know, I've been working with her to kind of get her mind from the $4 million house to the $700,000 house. And that's not going quite as well as I would like it, but it's (laughs) our choice.
1: Yeah, it's... Kind of as the divorce lawyer sometimes, it, it is helpful to have that conversation, particularly before mediation, right? I mean, the stereotype for the divorce lawyer is the worst thing that happens is, you know, because at the end of the day, I tell people, I don't make money, right? I don't create money. I'm just dividing up what there is. And the worst is when somebody comes in because they haven't had a conversation with somebody like you or they haven't had the their divorce lawyer hasn't talked to them. And they come and say, well, I need X dollars a month. Right, this is what I need, and so okay. Well, I would like that too, but that's that's just you That's not y'all's estate. That's not what I'm going to get for you. I mean, I'm going to get you every single penny I can get you, but that, having that hard conversation of what you know. Sometimes it is a change in lifestyle. Sometimes it's not. It just sort of depends on on the situation. But the stereotype also is whenever somebody shows up with an inexperienced or unhelpful financial advisor that comes in and says, "Well, we've crunched the numbers, and you know he needs this amount of month this per month." And so you need to go get them this amount of dollars and you look at the spreadsheet and go, well, that's more than the entire estate. Well, that's, that's what the numbers say. That's what they need. And so having that hard conversations, so I appreciate that you do that with people because, you know. We talk about this a lot, but mediation and, and trial too is just all about preparation. And if it's bad news, it's bad news. If it's in between news, it's in between news, but it is what it is. You got to have
0: Yeah, the numbers don't lie. It's one of the weird things about numbers is they don't really have a twist on them. I guess they can, but in most cases, there's not a twist on numbers.
1: Yeah, even if you yell at your lawyer or your, your mortgage broker, <laughs> they're all the same. So. I don't
0: allow yelling, do you? Yeah.
1: I, you know, it's, it's a divorce, right? You get to yell a little. You don't get to yell my staff i was taught as an associate so i started out working for jim piper who's our of counsel now and jim had sort of a general rule you know that you can yell at him a little bit don't get a yell at staff you yell at staff you get you get fired as a client so well talk to me i guess of anything else that people need to be thinking about when they're going to mediation or trying to resolve their, their divorce
0: there is so one of the things that you know i always say I'm assuming they're working with you so they they know this, but if they're not, be sure that debts split, any debt split or awarded need to be very specifically spelled out as to what they are. What I see typically is some, com- the first four numbers of a credit card or the last four or something like that. Credit cards, the same thing as mortgage. If you're joint on it and the other spouse makes the payments poorly, it's going to affect your credit. If they have a real high balance, it's going to affect your credit scores and your credit scores cost you money. So that's really. Important now on credit cards we don't in the mortgage industry count that if it's awarded in the divorce decree we don't count that in the ratios we do mortgages but we don't do credit cards so that's helpful on one side but it can affect your credit if the spouse doesn't do what they say they're going to do
1: well for the divorce purposes it's it's important to remember I tell people you know credit cards always a bad idea although I see people do this right where there's just like this emotional deal like I don't want credit card debt it's like well it's a spreadsheet right if you get more credit card debt than you're gonna get more assets to be able to pay off those credit card debts. It all balances out. But it's kind of emotionally, people don't want that on their side. But if it's in your name or if it's joint, you know, sometimes it's better to say, "I'll take the credit card debt. I want more cash. I want more whatever." Because you're the cause you're you the one that's actually gonna right. You're gonna actually write it. I represent millionaires, multi millionaires who don't pay their cards on time just because they're just their personality, right? They just you know they may be the smartest person I've ever met in my life, and they can't pay their bills on time just because that's, a, that's how they function. Not a bad You'd person. Think they could
0: true. hire somebody to do that. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just people have their interests interesting quirks. So, and you were going to say something about child support.
0: Oh, well, now let me back up one second. On the credit cards, typically, assuming you have income, the credit card companies will take one or the other of the spouses off on them if they have a good history and so forth. I've not had anybody tell me that that's been too big an issue. So that's a solution for that. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about income and child support and so forth. All income that we're using to qualify, you do not have to use alimony or child support To qualify. Spousal support, I think, is what it's called in Texas. We don't actually have alimony here, although you see it from time to time. Uh, I think you call it spousal it,
1: Yeah, spousal maintenance. Very, very rare that it's, I mean, people agree to it. But yeah, like you said, either through contractual alimony, or they agree to spousal maintenance when maybe somebody wouldn't qualify. But, you know, we've talked about this in, in other episodes. It is, it is very restrictive in Texas, probably the most restrictive out of all 50 states. You know, whether that's right or wrong, it's a different conversation, but you're not going to see it a bunch in a divorce.
0: So any income you get, whether it's child support or spousal support or alimony, if you're coming from a different state, whatever it is, has to go into the future three years from the date of closing. So obviously that's pretty straightforward on alimony or spousal support. However, on child support, it varies because a lot of times I see that a child is supported through their 18th birthday or when they graduate from high school, whichever is
1: later. Mm-hmm.
0: Later. So if you've got three kids, you might get so much for two and a half years. And I can't use that, but I can use what's left that what actually does go into the future for three years. And it's used as income kind of like salary. So ratios are run off of it. And then if the spouse is paying it, it's counted as a debt, just like a credit card, no matter how long into the future it goes. And if it's alimony, it just has to go into the future, so three years from the date of closing, not from the day you apply.
1: By the way, it's kind of unrelated. I always kind of unrelated to what you do, but it just wants well, on the top of my head. It's, you know, people come to me all the time with a divorce. Uh, it's interesting. One thing that that's interesting about mortgage applications and everything is sometimes you'll have people come and they have a they have a family owned business. They've applied for you know a mortgage, say three years before they go through a divorce. You ask like, what's what's the value of your business? I'm trying to qualify for the mortgage, and you know, a lot of times you'll see somebody twenty million dollars. That's what my business is worth. And then you go through the divorce. And, oh, no, wait, it's only worth a million. That was, it says like, hey, you said 20, right? So we'll, we'll take the $20 million number. That's that's always, uh, we've used those in court a few times when people are well, trying. Well, that's
0: maybe to, one of those places where numbers are a little bit flexible.
1: A little bit. Sometimes people take some liberties on, on that. But it's, it's always fun cross-examination when somebody comes in and says, my business is worth nothing. And then they've sworn to y'all a couple of years ago that it's worth $20 million. $20, 30 million dollars so
0: I remember yeah. what I was gonna say let me do it before I forget on alimony alimony is considered for the borrower who's getting it as income like a paste check except for that for the person who's giving it it's taken off the top so it's a little bit better I'm not tax wise or anything like that I'm not giving that kind of advice but from a qualifying standpoint, Alimony or spousal support on the person who is giving it—it's a little easier mortgage-wise.
1: Oh, okay.
0: It's not counted in a ratio; it's counted as off the top. So, if the income, let's say it was two thousand dollars a month, and that person makes ten thousand dollars a month, that person now would, for qualifying person purposes, would make eight thousand, as opposed to it being counted as a in the debt ratio, which is is less advantageous.
1: Right. Well, so let's talk about you. When are you usually getting contacted by the individual or by the divorce lawyer or both? Like what's, do you have a
0: preference? Mostly I talk to the borrowers. I'm pretty specific, kind of a straightforward gal. I have talked to attorneys, but not usually. They kind of come in and say, uh, you know, they're usually by the time they get to me, they've got some idea of what they're getting, what they think they're doing. And they start with that. And if then we don't, it doesn't work or whatever, then we say, well, that's not going to cut that. And then they can go back and do that. And But I I can talk to attorneys or I can talk to borrowers or both.
1: Do you, uh, your borrowers are all local? Do you statewide or?
0: Statewide. And I think uh, shortly after April, Cornerstone is uh, purchasing a bank. So we'll be nationwide.
1: Oh, wow. Well, that kind of leads me to how I was going to wrap this up. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell us why somebody should should hire you as opposed to going to some other, one of your competitors.
0: Well, I'm very thorough. I have more years experience than I'm going to admit to. And <laughs> you know, I'm a straight shooter. I'm not going to tell you something you want to hear, even if it's what you want to hear. I'm not that person. I'm going to try to set you up for success. And I've gotten in, let we'll call it 30 plus years. 30 plus years, I've gotten two loans to underwriting that weren't approved. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've been doing business in Austin a long time, and that's a lot of loans.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, how can people contact you?
0: My phone number, 512-422-9036. I have one number. It's personal, business, everything else. My email is at com.
1: All right. Well, that's the way to do it. So we'll wrap up with that. And I'll say, if you've liked what you've heard today, do us a favor and leave us a review. We're going to put Ann's contact information on the podcast so we can reach out to her. We appreciate everybody's feedback. If you have any questions for myself or this topic or any other topic, reach out to us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. I'm Jake Gilbreth and thanks for listening. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our
0: website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at Thanks for listening. Until next time.